What is love? Now, I don't know about you. Maybe you connect with some of the things that, that, that some of these guys shared. Maybe you challenge some of it. I really like that, uh, that guy said love is like a big sloppy kiss. Beth looking at you. No. <laughs> um, but I, I wanted to show that to start because, you know, in our world right now, uh, our world is changing constantly the definitions of many things like love. It changes other many definitions like what it is to be a man, what it is to be a woman, what's feminine, what's masculine. And uh, we know as Christians, the one thing that doesn't change is God's definition of love. And that's what he did on the cross and who he was when he surrendered his life for us on that cross. Amen? Amen. So what is love? Um, We're continuing this series called Love Is, and uh, I have the privilege to share with you today um, for the second week. I think, Kay, did he come here this last week, Murray? Yeah, he shared and unpackaged what agape love was and how scripture defines that as, uh, in some ways, this not just an emotional feeling, you know, oh man, I love McDonald's. Uh, but it's much more, it's an action, as we know. Um, much more than that. I love fried chicken. Anyone else in here love fried chicken? Yeah, that's my man. Beth uh, says, slow down, Tiger. You're uh, getting a bit old every year, but that's why we exercise, right, Murray? Uh, as well. <laughs> Love is. Um, Kate unpackaged the agape love that God has for us and that intimate love that he, he, he showed for us. Today, I actually want to go a bit deeper. And out of Corinthians, over the next few weeks, we're going to unpackage love in very different aspects. Today, I've got the privilege to share with you that love is selfless. I'll highlight what love is maybe selfishly and then maybe highlight what love is selflessly um, with some examples in my life. Uh, what God's done, and also the people, some people in my life that I see, and I go, wow, these people are so selfless in the way that they live, and I see God through that. So um, buckle in. Uh, I'm going to tell you about my grandma, Mama Tran, Grandmama Tran. If um, the guys at the back, you got a photo there. This is uh, me. Um, you can probably tell by the haircut which one is me. Uh, my mum put a bowl around my head and then cut around. Anyone else get that haircut before? Um, maybe our kids one day will get that. Um, that's my younger sister, Becky, which some of you might know in our North community. And my amazing grandma. We call her in Vietnamese, Noi. And that actually just means, you know, my, uh, an elder in our culture. My grandma is, man, a, an amazing selfless woman. If you ever get the privilege to come to our house one day, you know, a bit of our background and we have uh, Vietnamese, Thai, and Laotian um, in our culture. And so I'll tell you what, I feel very blessed in my family. My dad's a great cook. My mom's a great cook. Where do they learn from? This woman here. Um, if you get the privilege, she will literally go, hey, Ben, welcome to my place. Have you, are you hungry? That's the first question. She won't ask, how are you? Are you hungry? Um, she'll have probably some, uh, some boiled, you know, fur is probably my, her specialty. She'll have beef bones that are ready to be peeled off. She'll have all that first suitable. Am I getting you hungry for later? Yep, hopefully. Um, she'll ask you for a meal. She'll ask you, how are you going? She'll ask you, how's life? What are you doing with the job? How's work? And uh, for much of my life, I got the big question. So Kev, where's your wife? Um, <laughs> thank Jesus now that uh, Beth has come into the picture. Now she's finally stopped asking. Um, but to the point, yeah, she even tried to have, she, she found a few people for me and, you know, that's very common in our culture. Um, but she is an amazing selfless woman that always thinks of us behind the scenes, 
Uh, if it's financially, you know, she's always there to support us as her grandchildren. Um, I love it a bit. Uh, I remember even asking her once, I said, Grandma, uh, what do you think of Jesus? Uh, a bit of background, we actually came over as refugees and uh, from, from Vietnam or Laos and Thailand, uh, my mom and dad's side. And uh, they actually started learning about Jesus uh, when they came here from Australia in the 19, about 75, I think it was. So many years now, knew no English, and uh, they were taken in by Catholic priests and were simply blessed. So they got the privilege to learn them. And, and I remember her response always astounded me. She said, um, oh yes, Jesus, he's a beautiful man. He died for our sins and he did many great things. I, I looked to him. I said, wow, that, that melts my heart. Granddad, what do you think? What she said. I was like, okay, cool, Granddad. Um, but that's my grandma. Uh, she is an amazing, selfless woman. Um, as we, I guess, uh, go to Corinthians, and um, you know, I want to just pin the foundation today in Scripture, what we're talking about when it comes to love. As I said you know, before, uh, the world changes this definition for love, but we have this standing definition. And Paul talks to the church in Corinthians, and he says, If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I'm only in a sounding, resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith that can even move mountains, gee, that would be cool, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body to hardship that I may boast, do not I, but do not have love, I also gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud, it does not dishonor others, and it is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. This is our biblical standpoint of how we define love, and I get the privilege to talk to you today about selfless love. Now, I've got two pictures that I'm going to show you guys. And when I think about, you know, what does it look like um, for selfish love, this is what I think about. Coming into winter, if this was a tree, you know, imagine standing out there, you'd better want, you need a jacket, right? It's cold. You probably don't want to stay too much longer out there. And um, I kind of think of, uh, you know, at times of selfish actions or selfish love, here's a definition uh, that I think uh, kind of paints a picture. Selfish love is common. Selfish love exists when one or both partners' dominant concern is what they're concerned on, what they get from the other party or partner in the relationship. All their interactions, negotiations, activities center on this one concept, what can I get from this? Now I think of, you know, what could this look like? I, to be honest, I think this has even crept up in the church. What can I get from church? When can I get my spiritual fix? Or when can I even, you know, oh, I kind of like the way we do music. I don't like the way this church does music. Notice the, the, the common thing. It's about me in the middle. Um, I even think of times where, you know, uh, or you, you meet someone and all they talk about is what? Themselves. Um, I've been there. Uh, I won't say I'm perfect in that sense. But I think of it like standing out there in the, in, in the cold. Selfish love is not a great thing to be around. It's kind of cold. It's miserable. It's like 
isolating. It's close to death. But we flip it. What does selfless love look like? And I pray that we would almost be a representation like this tree as we follow Christ. Selfless love means to love regardless of your own personal needs. You love wholeheartedly without loving yourself, without any personal gain, or in other words, you don't ask for anything in return. And the opposite, of course, is from selfish love. Picture with me, you know, summer's just passed if we're going into summer later on. I don't know about you, but um, when I was in Thailand, you know, uh, when it's stinking hot, one of the best things you can find for, for rest is a tree. It's sticky, it's humid, and it brings so much rest and, and, and recovery and peace. And I think about selfless love, you know, it provides protection. I go back to that Corinthians, you know, it provides um, blessing to other people. And I pray that we would, as followers of Jesus, would look towards this selfish, selfless, I should say, love. As uh, we know more about Christ, our self steers away. It's not as important, but we're still in the picture. And we provide selfless love. So keep that in mind as we come together, the thriving tree of selfless love and the selfish tree maybe um, that is quite bare bones. I want to give three practical things today and and with a few stories, with a few illustrations um, of how you can kind of take away how to walk selflessly just as Christ did to us. And here's the first one, uh, to seek God's selfless love to fill our selfish hearts. Now, uh, some people in this room will definitely recognize that family, an amazing family. I've got a story I'll share with you guys in a little bit. But this is um, Josh on the right, um, Ange on the left, Joel is up the top pulling a funny face, Um, Azai with the glasses, Aisha, and then Zoe as the youngest in that order. They are the Reading family who pretty much, to be honest, without them, we would not be here. Um, they started Divergent Church about 12 years ago. And um, uh, in some ways, my story really um, is inspired by them. And, and what I say that is because um, their selfless love to how they started, even the call of Divergent, is amazing. How many of you guys have heard the story or, or maybe have shared before? I know Pops, you've been here for a while. Yeah, that's amazing that some and new faces haven't yet. And I get excited to share this, so uh, buckle in. Come back with me with my story, and we'll get to the Reddings. Um, when I was 20 years old, second year of uni, I pretty much lived on the throne of my life. Everything was about me, uh, my career, my job, uh, my family even. I was like, come on, family, you know, it's all about me, like that angry teenager. Anyone else been there? I'm surely I'm not the only one. Um, but pretty much life was about me. I moved to the States and pretty much did an uh, exchange program And that is where I encountered Jesus as the living God for the first time. It was in that place where I realized that my selfish sin and my desires in life, you know, I would always pursue the next thrill. Uh, I went skydiving. I went, you know, backpacking across by myself. You name it, I did it. And um, at that point, though, I realized that, you know, even travel plans, I knew that uh, I tried to organize uh, plans with people. And I recognized that people didn't want to travel me because I was probably too wild and self-centered, honestly. So in that regard, I knew that there was something deeper to life. I knew that when I'd party six nights a week, I'd come back when I'm by myself and go, there's got to be more to life than this. And there's this aching, missing part in my heart that I'm like, 
there's got to be more. Um, a bit of context more too. I grew up in a Buddhist background, very far from Jesus, and I wanted nothing more uh, than Jesus or the Bible. Now come to, um, 20 to 2012. In that point, I had a friend who pretty much uh, invited me to um, stay with him in Kansas. And um, he was a very devout Christian. I always looked at his life and went, wow, there's something different about this guy. We, um, we were tight like brothers. He didn't talk to girls the same way I did. He didn't talk profanity or swear like the way I did. And um, he really literally shared the gospel with me at that very moment where he saw I was at the epitome of that, my selfishness. He saw and recognized that there was something deeper. He reached out to me and said, Kev, uh, you know, I believe in a God that has died and risen. He's alive today. And when I pray to him, he's the cool thing. He speaks back to me. At the time, I was kind of like, yeah, cool. That's cool for you, but, you know, I'm going to kind of still put the facade on. It wasn't until that point where I, I got deep, I got real, and set aside all the, you know, the pleasures of the world. I said, okay, I'll give God a chance. I reached out to God in prayer um, with 3,000 other people in the room at this church. I said, God, if you're really real, show me. I'm not satisfied with this life anymore because my selfish desire has hurt many people and I want to know that there's something more to life than this. And if you're real, this God that my friend has told me, speak. I opened my eyes in the room full of 3,000 people and I quickly ran back to my seat and I'm like, all right, I won't see anyone here. Cool. This girl turns around to me and, and, and speaks his prophetic words to me in this moment. She said, hey, uh, I feel like God's put something on my heart, like a vision on my heart. Can I share it with you? Um, I went, yeah, sure. I've got nothing to lose. I'm heading back. I'm heading out of here tomorrow. And um, she shared that this vision of, of me standing there and God was shining a light on me and that he was excited for me to get to know him personally. Out of all the strangers in the room, I thought, gee, how did she know that in that moment I just prayed and reached out to God? There's that verse in Zephaniah, I think, of in Scripture where it says, um, those who earnestly seek with an honest heart will find him. And in that moment, that was me. God spoke back and I couldn't deny it. And in that moment, I was faced with the challenge to hold on to my selfish life, which was mostly pretty cool, like in the world's eyes. I was living life, I was meeting heaps of people, but still that deep desire or that deep missing part of my heart was not fulfilled. That night, I blasted my friend with all the questions. Hey, I'm like, dude, what is heaven? What is hell? Who is Jesus? What the heck just happened? And um, I couldn't deny that God wasn't real. He, he laid it out to me and explained grace. It's not by my, my, you know, I knew that I was a sinner. I knew that I couldn't do any, everything I did did not work. And he said, Kev, whoever said you needed to have it all together before you follow Jesus? It's by grace that we are saved. I tell you what, that night, something in my heart exploded and I went, God, if you're, if you're willing to take me, I'll surrender this, this life to follow you. And it was that moment I, I encountered Jesus as the living God. It was that moment I went from selfish to God, I want to seek you on your throne. Show me what it is to live in your ways. Come back to Canberra, meet Josh and Ange. I've never seen a family, I'll tell you what, who's lived so selflessly. Um, I think of families nowadays, right? And, you know, we hope to have a family one day in that sense with kids. But yeah, I find in our world right now, um, especially as a parent, Mother's Day coming up, right? You want what's best for your kids, yes? Yes. And 
It's, <laughs> it's almost like you have this sense of, you know, protect my kids, do what's best for them. And in some way, you have this selfless heart to it. But I think very easily you can become selfish because you want to keep them safe. Think about Josh and Ange. They feel the call to plant a church in Turkey for their kids. You know, whole new language, whole different friends. Maybe their education might not be the same. But for the cost, when Jesus spoke to them, they selflessly put, gave up their lives to still continue to help other people come to see Jesus in such an amazing part of the world. Um, and for those who are connected with their newsletter, for example, you know, there's, uh, I just saw the other week that they're baptizing um, heaps of seekers who, uh, from that Muslimic, Islamic background, um, are wanting to know Jesus. Their selfless love is the same that Jesus has exampled for those that he's loved. And I, I really look to them as that example. So Ephesians 5, and I just, um, to highlight that, says, To follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave, us, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Their sacrifice to position themselves in a place where people are so hungry to know Jesus. Our sacrifice, you know, I wonder what that looks like for us here today. Maybe it's uh, in your workplace, that sacrifice to honour yourselves or offer yourselves um, as that person who is seeking Jesus in your workplace. Maybe you're in uni and you're like, okay, I'm not just here to get an awesome degree. Please do not degrees, degrees, you heard that. Um, but I think it's an actual privilege to be there in that platform to honour and serve and to, to, to share the good news of Jesus in that time. You see people all the time, right? Pops is still there, nearly finished. <laughs> Almost. One day, yeah. So Josh and Angela, they inspire me. The way that they live their uh, life with their family and their kids and their faith, it's, it's such a selfless thing that I see and it inspires me and I hope it does to you. Um, the second action of how we can actually continue following Christ selflessly is to surrender our selfish dreams and, oh, and God will birth kingdom dreams within us. Now, in the photo behind there is actually my sister Rebecca on her day of baptism about 2014. And man, that's a story to tell. Um, when uh, I had uh, many dreams, take back that story, right? I came back to Canberra and I was like, awesome. I want to grow on my faith. Um, I want to do amazing things for the kingdom. All I knew was that Jesus had died and he'd risen again and he's alive. And that's all I knew. Didn't even know how to read a Bible back then. And, um, you know, that journey of discipleship was an incredible thing. And in my family, out of all of them, um, Becky, my youngest sister in the middle, was the only one who started asking questions. I went to my mom and told her the story of Jesus and what he'd done. And she'd be like, wow, where'd my, uh, where'd my son go? Like, it's, it's almost like a complete 180. I said to, um, to my younger sister, Emily, and I'm like, hey, you know, this is what happened. How is America? This is Jesus is alive. And she's like, whoa, Kev's different again too. I went to my dad and I'm like, dad, this is, you know, this is Jesus. And he says, cool. Um, but it was Becky that was like, wow, there's something different here because this life that Kev used to live and we used to argue, I'd tell you what, um, out of that selfish place, something's changed. And she wanted to know more. Come towards her baptism, I'll tell you what. Um, there was a moment where I was like, I want to grow my faith. I've got three options. The first, I'll move to Hillsong in Sydney. 
um, I can be a part of the creative, uh, you know, the music scene and, uh, you know, grow and be an amazing musician. Cool. Second, go to Melbourne. Melbourne's got a really cool art scene too. Uh, plus, I could do Bible college. And to be honest, I even found an apartment that I almost moved into before I went. And the third was to stay in Canberra, which I've been my whole life pretty much, and uh, to, to do Bible study correspondence or to do it within um, in distance. When I brought these three things to God, I said, God, give me wisdom. What, what should I do? <sighs> Guess which two were probably the most enticing? Um, Melbourne and Sydney. Heck yeah. I was like, you know, that's party central. I still didn't, I still love to party just for Jesus now. It's a different kind of way. Um, those two options. And I, I brought it to God and I said, God, you know, what do I do? And he, when he started to speak to me, he said, I believe he said in my heart to stay, to stay. I want you and your family. <laughs> the amazing conversations that I had with Becky. I remember opening up the, the gospel of Mark together when I said, hey, I'm reading the Bible with a few friends. Do you want to read with me? Amazing. If I, didn't, if I went and chose those two that I were pretty good options still, I'll tell you what, I would have missed the opportunities that God would have had at home. Reading the Bible, walking with her, challenging her. I still remember portraying that, you know, when her heart, when she was wrestling with grace, she's like, it's not fair because my selfishness is, you know, how could God do that? Watching her, man, it was a joy. Um, and to see her now also still uh, discipling others in their faith, man, as an older brother, it's, it brings so much joy. Um, because when I surrendered those dreams to God, those, those two options, he birthed new dreams. When I surrendered my, you know, that selfish kind of desire first, which were about me, if I'll say honestly, God birthed new dreams. Because now my heart is still wherever I am. I feel like there's a sense where, you know, anyone, for anyone to come to Christ or to know more about Christ, that's the heart. I wonder what dreams in this room that you guys might have. Maybe it's for your work. Maybe it's to change the world in a certain way. Maybe it's a dream that you go, for my family, I'd love this. You know, I think we've got to take humility right in this. If we say, this is what God's put in my heart and this is the only thing, I think there's a bit of, you know, it's tough because there's, there can creep pride into that. But when we surrender them and honestly go, God, this is what you put in my heart, if it's your will, lead the way. I think there's a beautiful place that can come out of that. Because the thing is, if we actually are too far in the forward, we miss out in the present as well. We miss out on who God has put around us and for those amazing opportunities that can come too. When we surrender our dreams, God, he births new kingdom dreams for us. That's the second. And my third and last point is this. Seek to serve, then to be served. Because selfless love puts others first. Now, um, I've got a bowl of music there. And uh, that story comes out of last week, where God really humbly challenged me um, as a husband. But um, in light of this, I want to come back to John 13. And those who um, know what that's like, we'll get there. But John 13, when he, Jesus, give you context, is um, he's washing his disciples' feet, very famous, and he takes off the robes um, to represent himself as a rabbi. And I just wanted to read the last few verses from John 13. In verse 6, he said this, He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied to him, You do not realize what I'm doing now, but later you'll understand. 
And then Peter says, no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Uh, in this moment, you probably think, you know, um, the disciples wouldn't have had some sweet vans or, you know, some nice socks to keep you clean. They would have been walking around in sandals and, uh, yeah, it'd be very dirty, to say the least. So Peter's freaking out here. He says, no, you shall never wash my feet. Uh, and Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. Then the Lord summoned Peter replied, not just my feet, wash everything else, my hands, my head as well. Jesus answered to him, those who have a bath need only to wash their feet, but those whose body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew he was going to betray him later. And that's, uh, and that's why he said that not everyone was clean. When he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to this place. Do you understand what I've done for you? Jesus asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so that I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. That's the command. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is an amazing, amazing example that Jesus says here of servanthood. He puts down aside his identity as a rabbi or a teacher, look to high in society. I can compare that to maybe some of our jobs in our society. You know, I think about our world right now and, and people uphold certain people in positions just because of what they do. I love Jesus' example here though. He physically takes off the robes and what does he do? Washes the dirtiest part of their disciples. And that same symbolism, I think of, you know, the time I was here, Jesus washed the dirtiest parts of me. My sin, my shame, my brokenness, my guilt. This is the beautiful, beautiful gift that Jesus did for us significantly and spiritually. And out of this place, you know, this is the place where we go, because of what you've done, Lord, now I will do the same. Now I'll do the same of the dirtiest and the grimiest parts for the people you've put in my life. You might be asking, what does this look like? You know, uh, it's funny enough, in this very venue, when I was an intern, um, before I started preaching, before I started, I guess, looking at um, some things within the church society who were looked at as uh, high to some, we were expected to clean the toilets. We'd always challenge and say, if, you're not if you can't clean the toilets, how could you have the right heart to also serve elsewhere? It's the dirtiest parts that we are called to serve and wash other people's feet just as Christ had done to us. Now, I don't know about you, but um, story of the muesli. Uh, bit of context. I recovered from COVID in January. Beth dodged it. Beth tested positive for COVID a week and a half ago. Um, so I had the privilege now to cook for Beth. Uh, for good or for worse, the kitchen was messier. Um, the dishes got done eventually. Um, but I also had the privilege to prepare Beth's favorite meal, which was yogurt and muesli and fruit. When she could finally have a meal, I was like, all right, awesome. Here's my chance as a husband. I get the chance now to, um, you know, do it like the cafes do. I'll make sure it's in the right order. Um, so it's, you know, it looks nice and uh, this is going to be awesome. Um, Beth, when I say it's her favorite meal, it's her favorite meal. Like she could have breakfast, lunch and dinner, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Healthy, nutritious, 
Um, and uh, when I gave it to her, to my shock and surprise, I went, here you go, Beth, you know. Um, first meal, eat up. And she's like, whoa, this is very different to how I normally do it. I went, all right. <laughs> how do you normally do it? Because um, here's what I did. I go the yogurt first, the muesli, and then the fruits on top to make it, you know, somewhat presentable. Um, but you think about this, Beth's been doing it for years. Uh, before she met me, and uh, this is her favorite meal. So when I did it that way, she went, okay, um, I do it differently. I kind of mix it all together so that, you know, in every spoon you can get the best out of everything. I was like, okay, that makes sense. Um, but wasn't, it wasn't just, the, uh, I guess, the music in itself. It was more the way and the thought of love that I was like, okay, um, there's something more to this that I can hear Beth's heart is crying out for. Uh, and it wasn't just about, you know, my uh, selfish kind of like, yes, I have this chance to prove myself. God humbled me and was like, hey, I'll sacrifice this to, you know, to do it a different way because I love you in that sense. So I was like, you know, that simple sense of serving. It's a simple part. It might not be the way that you do it, but how can we serve as Christ has served us to those around us, to our spouses, to our friends, to our family, who maybe really rile you up, our colleagues. If you see someone who maybe is going through a tough time, Rather than talk about yourself, why not ask? Stop to listen. This is the chance for us as followers of Christ to show the love of God as he's first loved us. Other examples I can think of um, is listening more to others rather than speaking. You know, those in this room who really like to talk like myself, um, sometimes we really got to bite it and go, all right, I want to be present, speak. Um, I'm listening. Other examples I can think of is listening to someone else's struggles instead of hanging out with just your friends. You know, that it could be so easy and so comfortable to be in that place, but stepping out to serve can be a beautiful thing. Um, be willing to listen as a husband, not just give solutions, men in the house. Um, that can be one. Seeking reconciliation even when you've been hurt by another brother or sister, and that could even be even in the church. This is a way to seek, to serve. Confronting someone when you see the potential for growth. Choosing, uh, choosing to speak your spouse's love language, even when it's not your natural strength. Those who've read Gary Chapman's book, I highly recommend the five love languages. Um, one is, uh, if you're not familiar, physical touch, sharing you know, your love tank. Um, words of affirmation. Anyone else know what the others might be? Acts of service. Thanks, Dan. Gifts, yep. People love flowers and quality time because nothing better than saying, you have my full devotion, let's go for a mountain bike ride. <laughs> right, come on. You are the most important person right now. No one else matters at this moment. <laughs> we thrive, you know, in our, in our ways that we seek love and affection, but serving is putting aside those down in that moment to love and to serve those around us in those different ways. Um, and here's the last thing what it could look like. Asking rather than assuming. And here's one. Babe, do you prefer if I leave the toilet seat down or up? Uh, that could be one. <laughs> assume or ask rather than assume. We seek to serve rather than to be served. And since Jesus has done this for us, he has cleaned the greatest parts of us, our feet, our brokenness and our sins. And therefore, we should also choose to, to, to love selflessly to those around us in light of this.
So in conclusion, with the many examples, with the many people, with the many parts of Scripture, I pray that we would actually be a church that is able to seek God's selfless love to fill our selfish hearts, which comes natural in our flesh. Because when we, can be, we are filled up, we know that it overflows to those around us and they can see God's example. I believe that if we do this as a priority, our hearts that are still influenced by sin can be changed and transformed by the Holy Spirit um, to, the, to God's selfish heart, selfless heart, and can overflow around us. Secondarily, I'm confident that as we surrender our selfish dreams, God can birth new dreams for the kingdom in us, to the people around us in each season, and to the people who's planned before. And then lastly, when we seek to serve rather than to get something out of it or to be served, this aims to reflect the selfless love that Jesus has showed us first. When he washed our feet, the dirtiest parts of us, our sin and shame, and he calls us to do the same for others. So in light of that, let's pray as we finish here. Heavenly Father, I just uh, thank you so much for uh, firstly the greatest love that you've poured out for us. You stood off your throne and you came down as man to know what it's like, yet you still did not sin. We thank you that you are our answer, you are the way, you are our truth and you are our life and, and we find everything that we, uh, we have in you. I pray that we could be a church that overflows that love, that selfless love that you've shown us that uh, people in our workplaces, people in our families, people, Lord, around us will go, wow, I don't deserve this, but um, why, do you, why do you love the same? Why do you love me? <laughs> why do you show grace? I pray that that would be at the center of our heart as a church and that whoever you call, um, they would come to know you in a deeper light. We pray this in the mighty Son, uh, in Jesus' name. Amen.